Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Good morning. I'm excited to be here today and um, share this word because um, it wasn't only a word for you, it was a word for me, which is really cool how God works that way. Um, I think sometimes we forget that when preachers or teachers are preparing something that God's using that in their own life too, and he's used this in a big way in my life. Will you guys pray with me? Lord, thank you for your presence here today. Thank you that it's all about you and that we don't have to focus on other things. We can keep our eyes on you, Lord, and and you'll take us where we need to go. Lord, I pray that you would keep our ears open and our hearts open to what you have to speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in the series Muted, and Phil kicked us off last week with a really powerful message, very anointed message. And if you didn't have a chance to listen to that, go listen to the podcast. It was so good. And I want to recap a few things that really stood out to me. Excuse me. He said, God didn't just speak the universe into existence. He sang it into existence. God didn't just speak us into existence. He sang us into existence. Heaven is stuck on praise and worship. There's never-ending praise and worship in heaven. And we were created to praise and worship our creator. And then this is a direct quote that I wrote down that's so good. He said, if you look at nature and you wonder why it's so beautiful and full of joy, but your life isn't, I would ask you, does your life revolve around praising your maker? Are you doing what you were created to do? And then he talked about how, you know, we often encounter God through creation, and we encounter God through worship music, because it brings us into a place that connects our heart to God's heart. And I love that song that Blake and Isaac sung at the end, The Heart of Worship. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. Because I think that we come to church because we want to encounter God. We want to hear from him. We want to have an experience, you know, during worship especially. But we don't. Because it's about our heart connection. We don't hear from him. We don't encounter him because our hearts are far from him. How do we remedy that? We have to bring it back to Jesus. And I love the line in that song that says, when the music fades and all is stripped away, right? When there's no music, when it's still and quiet, when it's muted, is your heart still connected to God? Because worship isn't just an act. It's a condition of your heart. And God brought that song to my mind when I was preparing this message, and he kind of took me back to it because it's kind of an oldie. But it was popular when I first got saved. And then I felt God show me that he wasn't just taking me back to the song. He was taking me back to that time in my life. And he showed me my heart then versus my heart now. And honestly, it was painful to see. The comparison wasn't pretty because... There was a time that God had all my heart, every bit of it, the good, the bad, the sad, the ugly stuff. 
And I asked God to speak to me about this, and he showed me that I've been giving my heart to other things, things like fear, sadness, anger. And what's crazy is I thought everything was fine because my heart was deceiving me. And I'm not saying that it's bad to feel fear, sadness, or anger, whatever emotion or feeling you have, because God gave us those for a reason. We need to pay attention to them. And to be honest, I have some good reasons for feeling that way. You've got good reasons for feeling that way. But what I am saying is that when those things are not filtered through God and his truth, they'll just take up residence in your heart, and they'll make a home there. And then they start to grow into all sorts of other things. And the truth is that anything we exalt above God steals the truth. And then what happens is it steals any joy or passion you had or have for God and his truth. And I think that was slowly happening to me, and I'm so thankful God loved me enough to show me and that I was still in a place to hear him. So I'm going to be working on my heart because God deserves to have the whole thing. He deserves to have all of your heart. Our lives should be laid before God. We should live lives of worship because it's all about him anyway. And what does that look like? Turn to Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. So to live a life of worship means that every area of your life is touched by God. It means you trust him even when it's hard to trust him. And according to that verse, it means you can't stop talking about him. You can't stop thinking about God and telling everyone about him. It means that everything points to him when you live a life of worship. And then what happens is even the secular things become sacred when you live a life of worship. But most Christians do not live this way because of the condition of their hearts. And our heart posture, our heart condition determines who or what is on the throne. Because there's a lot of stuff that wants that seat. And if there's one thing the enemy is after, it's your heart. That's why the Bible says to guard it. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And the NLT version says, above all else, guard your heart, for it affects everything you do. But there's a disconnect that happens because many Christians have the truth of God here in their mind, but not here in their heart. And when it comes to worship, it matters to God what's in our hearts. Isaiah 29, 13 says, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. So basically this is saying they could talk the talk. They knew how to make it look really good on the outside, but God said, your hearts are far from me. And the meaning in this text actually means that they were removing their hearts from God. And by doing that, they were giving their hearts to something else. They were worshiping something else. Another line in that song says, you search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. We, 
what are we doing half the time? We really think we can fool God? He sees what's in our hearts. He sees the things that have your focus. He sees the things that have your attention. But most of the time, we're oblivious because the heart is deceitful above all else. Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10. This is the message version. I think it puts it so clearly. It says, the heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful, a puzzle that no one can figure out. But I, God, search the heart and examine the mind. I get to the heart of the human. I get to the root of things. I treat them as they really are, not as they pretend to be. I love that it says God gets to the root of things. See, he wants to get in there and he wants to dig deep because he wants to cut off anything that's trying to take his place. The Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. And I think it's because when you look at the Psalms, you see that David saw how important the condition of his heart was. Psalm 139, 23 through 24. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. See, if we never ask God to search us, if we never ask him to weed out all the stuff that's not from him, it doesn't take long before we're worshiping other things. And that's simply called idolatry. It's been going on for a long time. The Israelites were really good at it. If you look at Exodus 32, 8, how quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live. They have melted down gold and made a calf, and they have bowed down and sacrificed to it. They are saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. That's crazy, you guys. They turned their backs on God, who had delivered them with amazing miracles that they actually saw with their own eyes, and they turned around and gave false gods the credit for their deliverance. God couldn't win with them. It's like no matter how many times he showed up, no matter how many times he delivered them and provided for them and did these amazing miracles, they would still be overcome with their own pride and decide they knew better than God. But I try not to judge them because it would be easy for us to think to ourselves, you know, if I'd seen all that stuff, if I'd seen what God had done with my own eyes, I wouldn't turn away from him. But we do it. I've done it. I know you've done it. And maybe you think the word idolatry is for the Old Testament, but it's for us today because idols aren't just statues. And in fact, I think there's more idols today than any other time in history because they wear a million different masks. And they appear as something good most of the time, something harmless, a lot of times something even helpful. But in fact, Scripture tells us that the devil comes as an angel of light. He's sneaky, you guys. That's how he draws you in. All the more reason to guard your heart. So we might not be melting down our golden jewelry, you know, and fashioning a golden calf to worship, but I'm telling you, if you're only worshiping God when you're in church, you're probably worshiping a lot of other gods through the week. A lot of us have gotten really good at making it look great on the outside when our hearts are far from God. And I want to talk about what causes that. What causes that disconnect? What causes our minds to know the truth, but our hearts to be far from him? 
And sometimes it's just that we let the world speak louder than God's truth, like in my case. But even then, I think that it can lead to this other thing that can take root, and it's called legalism. And this is just my opinion. I haven't done, you know, a big elaborate study on this. I might need to. But when I look at Scripture and I look at what causes people who know God to worship false gods, it's because there's no real heart connection. So that person's commitment to God changes from day to day depending on the circumstances. Like with the Israelites, I know God is real. I know he's amazing. He's spoken to me clearly, even done miracles in my life. But I'm not feeling confident in him today, so I think I'm going to take control. And that's what legalism is. It's self-righteousness. It, is, it exalts your ideas, your thoughts above God's truth. So then our hearts get filled with a bunch of junk, but we end up still going through the motions of being a good Christian. And I believe there's a host of demons whose entire purpose is to bring that spirit of legalism into the hearts of Christians because it divides and it separates you not only from God by pulling your heart away from him, but also it divides and separates you from other people. Because when your heart is far from God, it's far from other people which really serves the devil well because we're told the greatest commandment is to love God and the second greatest is to love people. The spirit of legalism is why you see such a racial divide in America, even in our own city right here in Peoria. Legalism condemns people when they don't do it your way. Legalism looks at the outside, not at the inside. It only considers the behavior, not the why behind the behavior. Legalism is void of compassion, and it takes away the freedom you should have in Christ. There's a verse in the Bible that says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. While where the spirit of legalism is, there's bondage. And there is a group of people in Scripture that carried the spirit with them, and it was the Pharisees. You've probably heard about the Pharisees, read about the Pharisees. So the Pharisees could quote almost the entire Old Testament. And if you were a male and you were born into a Pharisee family, by the time you were 12 years old, you would have memorized the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Have you even read some of those books? And then in their teenage years, they would go on to memorize the books of the prophets and the Psalms. That's basically the entire Old Testament. That's insane. And wouldn't it seem like people who had devoted that much of their life to God and his word would be considered true worshipers of God? They would be considered holy, people you'd want to learn from. But Jesus was not a fan of the Pharisees. So we're going to look at some of these things that Jesus had to say. Matthew 15, 5 through 9. And so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. This is the same exact verse from before, where God was talking to the Israelites. So you have two different groups of people, you know. It looks a little bit different because legalism wears lots of different hats. But there's one thing it always comes down to, and it's the heart condition. Okay, Luke chapter 11, 
37 through 41. As Jesus was speaking, one of the Pharisees invited him home for a meal. So he went in and took his place at the table. His host was amazed to see that he sat down to eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony required by Jewish custom. Then the Lord said to him, You Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and wickedness. Fools, didn't God make the inside as well as the outside? So clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor, and you'll be clean all over. You guys, this is true for us today. We are so concerned with appearance. We are so concerned with how we look to other people when the only thing that matters is your heart and what's in it. Because whatever's in your heart is what is the root of any kind of false worship. Jesus goes on to say in verse 42, What sorrow awaits you, Pharisees, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. But you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. This is still an issue in the church. And I'm going to give you one example. It might look something like this, okay? You tithe. You know it's the right thing to do, so you do it. But when you see a homeless person, you go the other way. Or when a homeless person approaches you, you're quick to say, no, I don't have anything. Because, you know, how do you know what they're going to use it for? They could be buying drugs or alcohol, you know. Maybe they're not even homeless. So when you see a beggar or a homeless person, you have thoughts of condemnation instead of compassion. That's legalism. Luke 6, verse 30, give to anyone who asks. That's it. That's just it. Somebody asks you for something, you just give it. That's what we're commanded to do. Notice it's not followed by as long as you know the whole story. It's not followed by, but do a thorough investigation beforehand on how they will use it. Because that's between them and God. We're just called to give, period. So like Jesus said, don't cancel the word of God because of your own ideas and your own thoughts. Verse 45. Teacher, said an expert in religious law. You have insulted us too in what you just said. Yes, said Jesus. I want to read that again. So the religious teacher said, you have insulted us in what you just said. And Jesus said, yeah, I did. So hear me. The truth will offend people. And if you haven't offended anyone in a while, maybe you're not speaking the truth often enough. Yes, do it in love. But even then, you guys, if it's the truth, it will be offensive to someone eventually. And if you're the one that seems to be offended all the time when it comes to the things of the Lord or conversations about the word of God, you might need to check your heart and ask why. I absolutely love that Jesus did things on purpose to reveal the condition of the Pharisees' hearts. He purposely did not follow the Jewish hand-washing custom because he wanted to expose what was in their hearts, what they were truly worshiping. And he's doing that to all of us. He goes on to say, What sorrow also awaits you, experts in religious law, for you crush people with unbearable religious demands, and you never lift a finger to ease the burden. 
religious demands are burdensome. And here's an idea of what those religious demands looked like. So the Pharisees had counted up all the commandments in the Law of Moses, which is the first five books of the Bible. And they came up with 613 laws that everyone should be following. But that was not enough for them. So they invented 1,500, and I think there was actually a little bit more than that, additional laws, like they called them fence laws, and they were supposed to help people keep from sinning, keep people from sinning with these 2,000-something laws, which is funny because God's commands were never there to keep people from sinning. They were there to bring conviction and to reveal a holy God whose standards we can never live up to. They were there to reveal the condition of our hearts and our need for a Savior. And then when the Savior showed up, the Pharisees condemned him instead of falling at their feet and worshiping him because their hearts were so far from God. They were blinded by self-righteousness. The rules and traditions that they thought would keep them close to God actually pulled them away from God. And the sad thing is they ended up leading a lot of people away from the Lord as well. And I was trying to think of a visual picture that we could put up for like, you know, that spirit of religion, spirit of legalism, having to follow all the rules. So I found this picture that I think describes it really well. That's the only thing I could come up with. But some of us are living like that, right? We're living a life of religion. All these rules we have to try to get around. There's no freedom in our life. Then what happens is we go and we try to witness to other people and share the love of Christ. And we're like, hey, Jesus loves you. You really should follow him. You need to put your trust in Jesus. Hey, follow me. I'll show you the way. And we lead him right into that. And it's a trap. Some of us are in bondage to religion. So our hearts are far from God, and our worship just becomes part of a checklist. So it's empty. There's no heart connection in our worship to God. Here's a couple of things you can ask yourself in order to expose a legalistic or religious spirit in your life. Does this rule, does this belief bring freedom? Does this rule, does this belief bring life? If the answer to those questions is no, then it's not Christianity. You're following something else. You're worshiping something other than God. And another thing you can ask yourself is, do you feel burdened and weighed down all the time in your Christian faith, in your Christian walk? Because when you're under a spirit of religion or legalism, it's heavy. And you feel burdened all the time because you're more worried about doing everything right and everybody else doing everything right than you are about just laying your heart before the Lord. And if you feel burdened following God's rules, you need to ask yourself, what God are you following? Because with God, there's no burdens. 1 John 5, 3 through 4. Loving God means keeping his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. Not through rules, not through traditions, not how good you're making it look, just through faith. Isn't that a relief? Galatians 5, 13 through 14 says, You have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. 
For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Did you catch that? It says the entire law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And before that, it says we've been called to live in freedom. Because, see, freedom is what allows you to love yourself. Freedom in Christ is what allows you to love other people. And I know I say this a lot, but I'm going to say it again because I say it to myself too. We have an enemy, and he's real, and he's persistent, and he's crafty, and he's constantly trying to steal your freedom by knocking God off the throne. And you don't, it doesn't take long to look around and figure out there's a million things that are fighting for that spot in your heart. And anything that is taking the place of God in your life ultimately has demonic influence. And it will be used against you. And I think that the devil oftentimes does use legalism to lead us away from God. Because it's so sneaky. You don't even realize that it's happening. That's how Satan likes it. I mean, if the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, don't you think those are the things he's after? If that's the greatest commandment, he's going to do anything he can to keep you from fulfilling it. So he's going to distract you. And when we're distracted, we take our eyes off of Jesus. And then that gives him the opportunity to use whatever you're focused on. Deuteronomy 32:17 says they offered sacrifices to demons which are not God to gods they had not known before to new gods only recently arrived to gods their ancestors had never feared so this is what's interesting to me about that verse they offered sacrifices to demons which are not God idols are not harmless There's demonic things going on behind anything that we're putting above God and exalting above God. It says they were worshiping demons. Secondly, it says the idols they were worshiping were new, gods that had recently arrived, idols that their ancestors had never feared. So these idols were not ones that had been passed down from generation to generation. They had not been taught to worship these idols. And I was thinking, you know, we could cut the Israelites some slack if that was the case, but it's not. These were brand new. What does that mean? It means that they, the Israelites were just making crap up, right? They were, literally were inventing out of their own fleshly desires other things to worship, other things to fill them up, other, other things to satisfy them other than God. Kind of like the Pharisees were inventing rules and traditions that, ex- that were exalted above God. They worshiped rules and traditions. They didn't worship God. And I think this verse is showing us that a door was opened for endless idolatry until Jesus comes back. Because there's always something new. The world's always cranking out something new that if we're not careful, we could end up worshiping. We could end up idolizing. This is why God is so concerned about your heart. This is why he wants to search deeper within through the way things appear. Because we live our lives from our hearts. And we need to get in the habit of asking God to search them. We need to get in the habit of just being honest with ourselves and with God. 
about the stuff we're allowing in our hearts, about the stuff that we're letting take his place. Because it's only then that we can have a real heart connection with him, a real relationship with him. And I want to do a little exercise because I think sometimes we're scared to look at our own hearts. Because the truth is, you guys, it's, it can be really painful. A lot of us have a lot of pain. And that's why we tend to put up walls around it. Because we want to believe that we'll be okay if we just ignore it for a while. We want to believe that if we just keep going through the motions, then eventually our hearts will catch up to how we're making it appear. But it's actually the opposite. The longer you ignore your heart condition, the further you pull it away from the Lord. So let's do this exercise. I'm going to go first, and I'm going to be vulnerable. So maybe laying your heart before the Lord would look something like this. Lord, I am feeling like I have a lot of junk in my heart right now. I'm angry and I'm sad. I think about my dad and my brother. And Lord, I'm kind of angry at you because I don't understand why you would have allowed those things to happen. I'm angry at you because you allowed my son to get diabetes and you haven't healed him yet and I don't understand why and I'm confused. And I really don't know what to do with all the stuff that's in my heart, but I know you're good and I know you love me, so I'm bringing it to you. Please help me. Okay, so it's your turn. So I want you all to shut your eyes. And I want you to fill in the blank. Lord, I'm feeling... Lord, my heart is hurting because that's how you live a life of worship, you guys. We just, we keep God above all else. We take everything to him, every hurt, every pain, every burden, every blessing, every joy, because it doesn't always have to be you know, bad stuff that you're taking to him. We need to be taking our gratitude and our thankfulness and our appreciation to him as well. But by doing that, by continuing to lay our hearts before the Lord, we will be guarding our hearts against false worship. We will be guarding our hearts against legalism and religion. You know, when you look at the life of King David, you see this man who committed adultery and murder. He, had, he made a ton of mistakes, had so, much, so many horrible things happen to him. He had a lot of pain in his life too. And he was a man after God's own heart because you know why? He continued to be honest with himself and with God. He continued to just lay it all out before the Lord. And he was also probably one of the greatest worshipers we've ever known about. And yet the Pharisees, who could quote the entire Old Testament, were called sons of hell by Jesus. That changes my perspective. I was thinking, okay, okay, I think I'd rather hang out with an adulterous murderer than people who know the Bible really well. But it's the truth. We need to be aware. We need to be looking beyond appearance. I went to a songwriting conference last weekend, 
and a guy by the name of Simon Hawkins. He's in his 40s, and he's a songwriter. And he was on stage, and he was sharing the story. And he said a couple years ago, he had a major stroke, and he should be dead. The doctor said he should be dead. And if he didn't die, then they said he would be forever disabled mentally and physically. But there he was on stage sharing his story, alive and well, still writing songs, still playing the piano. He has a stutter now, and his words come a little bit slower, but he's a miracle. And he said, when my brain started working again, three words came to my mind. God, love, and worship. God, love, and worship. And I thought, oh man, that's so true, isn't it? If God is continually exalted, if you take everything to him all the time, always pointing your heart towards God, what that does is it allows his love to flow to you and through you to other people. So number one, you're keeping the first, the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, keeping him exalted. Then it allows you to keep the, the second greatest commandment, love people. And then we're fulfilling our purpose of living lives of worship and our hearts will be connected to him. Our worship will actually glorify him and bless his heart. God, love, and worship. And a life of worship does not mean that you have it together all the time. It just simply means that you are committed to Jesus. It means that your loyalty is to him alone. It means he has all your heart because it's all about him. I want to close with um, Psalm 103, 1 through 5. Will you guys stand while I read this? It says, Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things.